Welcome to the Aloha Friday podcast, coming from the Landsberg Law Office in the historic penthouse suite of the Executive Center in downtown Honolulu. Here we talk to the most interesting people we know, from current events to how they got to where they are to how they see the world. And now, your co-hosts of the Aloha Friday podcast, Marcus Landsberg and Naomi Cooper Christensen. And aloha, everybody. Welcome to the Aloha Friday podcast. I'm Marcus Landsberg, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Naomi Cooper Christensen. How are you, Naomi? I'm doing much better in our wine hour. There you go. So this is uh, first for us in a lot of different ways. Number one, it's the first time we're going to have a panel of guests. Uh, number two, it's our first time uh, wrestling with video. <laughs> and um, let's see how it goes. But today's a very special episode because... Uh, we've all been watching the news, and we've seen what's been going on. We've seen peaceful protests. Honolulu had 10,000 people march on the Capitol. Uh, and nationally, we've seen uh, cities burn. Uh, just today in Seattle, we saw what neighborhood has declared itself independent, that it's its own independent country, this neighborhood in Seattle. Ooh, I uh, but I, that. Oh, no, it's, it's wild. They have a warlord. Um, that they've declared is the leader of this four block neighborhood. Who's a rapper from Seattle. Wow. And it's not Sir mix a lot, which is the part that disappoints me. <laughs> um, Cause anybody. I, I almost moved country. there. I mean, I almost moved there if it was Sir mix a lot. <laughs> if, if anyone deserves their own country. Um, and, and it all comes from one thing and that's different races for whatever reason, just don't seem to get each other. Mm-hmm. So today I've invited a number of friends and what we're going to do is have what's going to be some kind of, hopefully, a little bit of a voyeuristic look, uh, no holds barred, no topic off limits conversation about what it means to be black and what it means to be black in Hawaii. So I'm going to do my best to handle this with the most possible uh, care, but I'm not always the most sensitive person when it comes to this kind of thing. So what we're going to try and do is tell me if I get it wrong and let's walk through it and let's see what we could do uh there's two people wait that's there's naomi and then we have two people who are uh, here to join us the first we have is uh, ron betts ron is the owner of rude boy rhythms entertainment and operator of rude boy radio 808 he has two hundred thousand listeners a month worldwide and uh, his radio station is dedicated to bringing music information and education to all the masses uh, this show right now is going to be live streamed on Rude Boy 808 TV. And then next to him is, uh, my very good friend, Evan Smith. Evans is an attorney at law has been practicing law in Hawaii for 13 years. He fights hard for his clients, uh, freedom and for their parental rights doing family law. He does criminal defense and Evans also lives on the big Island. So he's joining us right now for the big Island. So right now in this conversation, we have three different islands represented where people live. So uh, I appreciate you two coming to join us today. Uh, the Isn't reason why we have more than one person is I don't want either of you to consider it all that you're the sole spokesman for all black people or all black people in Hawaii. I hope we can have a little bit of disagreement um, because everyone has a wealth of different experiences. No one here is a politician. No one's a fundraiser. I'm not calling you to be the spokesman for any organization. Uh, but what I am looking for is to get your real honest opinions and your real honest experiences. And hopefully we can get through to that. 
Um, I do want to say at the beginning, I, I regret that I wasn't able to invite any women of color or, or African-American women to be on the panel. Uh, and I think that reflects me maybe and, and how I live my life as opposed to who agreed to be here, who we have. Let's wrestle with that maybe if we get to do it again at a different time period. But, but let me start at the beginning. Uh, Ron, let me start with you. What's okay. it like? What's it like being black that we don't know? Uh, being black in general or being black in Hawaii? Well, being black in Hawaii was going to be my second question, but if you want to wrap it up into the first, go ahead. Whatever is easier for well, you to explain. Well, being, being black in general um, incorporates a whole lot of different things. Um, it's a multifaceted existence, um, especially in this country. I think W.E.B. Du Bois uh, was the most poignant in trying to discern the dilemma that a black person faces living in America. On one hand, you're a person of African descent. And on the other hand, you're struggling to be recognized as an American. Um, and that doesn't always work in our favor. Um, take, for example, uh, my, my own story. You know, I came from a small town in North Carolina um, and I grew up around racism to the extent that it was just an accepted part of the day. You what do you mean by that? What, well, I, I put it like this. The town I grew up in was separated by a canal. Like this canal ran right through the middle of town. On one side of the canal was all whites. Mm. On the other side of the canal was all black folks. Wow. Can I ask what year this is? I mean, I, I don't want to. This is up to today. Okay. My mother still lives in that town and it's still the exact wow. same way as it was from my youth. Wow. So we knew not to venture to the other side of the canal and we never saw white folks really on our side of the canal. Mm. But we all utilized the same common things in town. The, the local general store, um, the post office, some of the churches, um, the schools social services agencies, so on and so forth. So growing up, we knew or we were taught that we had to be three times better than everybody else. We had to speak better than mm. everyone else. We had to dress better than mm. everyone else. We had to utilize common courtesies and etiquettes mm. better than anyone else because we did not want to support any of the ideas or ideologies or conceptions that black people were uncouth, that we were savages, that we were lazy, so on and so forth. So when you say everyone else, you mean you mean of each other or do you mean of white folk or Americans in general? White folks. Okay. So that so was like ingrained into you that you need to compete on this level. Birth. From wow. birth. Wow. We were taught at least in my household, we were taught that the police, the cops were the good guys. That if if we couldn't get a hold of our mother, we couldn't get a hold of our father, seek out a policeman. The policeman is always going to be that person who helps you because that's the belief that our parents had. Mm. But our actual experience with the police was mm. very, very different. Mm. So, so by the time by the time I was a, a young teenager, you know, 13, 14 years old. I had a very different view of the police. Mm. 
So when you were brought up, your parents brought you up to trust the police. My parents brought us up to trust the police. My own personal experiences with police. The opposite. Taught me that, no, I, I can't deal mm-hmm. with the police because it's not going to go my way, you know? <laughs> so yeah. probably during the, the mid to the late 80s, um, hip hop was my world. Everything centered around hip hop. You know, there was, I, I slept it, I ate it, I breathed it. Um, and it was a time in hip hop when the music was more conscious, mm. I guess. You know, we was walking around wearing Africa medallions and had, you know, Africa dyed in our hair. And <laughs> we were all sporting red, black, and green attire and everything like that. And um, it, it, it opened up our consciousness to different things. Prior to that time, I would have never thought to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I would have mm-hmm. never thought to read the autobiography of Martin Luther King. I would have never thought to read works by W.E.B. Du Bois and Ante Diop and um, Malona Karenga and uh, The Miseducation of the Negro. I would have never thought to read those books because those books had never been suggested to us in school, ever. Wow. So, so what I quickly learned was there's a whole other education that we're missing out on. Mm. As black people, there's the education that the North Carolina uh, Department of Education wants us to have. And then there's this other education that we need to have to truly understand our place in this world. To truly understand what our significance is, as not only African-Americans, but as black people trying to exist in a world that on one hand is for us. And then on the other hand is always going to be against us. Mm, That mentality always going to be against us. This is experience. I can hear it. Of course, like this is what, why we want you here. And this is why we wanted to talk about this. It's, it's that feeling that there's something against you and it started from your youth. And then you discovering that disengagement of education. What is it that you think should be taught what are those books that you wish you did have in education that you wish today you could be or you should be learning to kind of suffice that gap? If I had my way, every school in America would have Before the Mayflower in its library. It would have the complete works of W.E.B. Du Bois in their libraries. It would have um, The Miseducation of the Negro in their libraries. Uh, A People's History of the United States would be in their libraries. Um, And and so many others that, you know, I could probably sit here all night naming off. (laughs) Uh, When it it comes to other aspects of existence, you know, it would include uh, The Art of War by Shun Tzu. It would would include The 48 Laws of Power by Mr. Green. It would include those books because it's one thing to be told what your history is. It's a totally different thing to experience what your history is. Because unfortunately, for people of color in this country, our history is every day. It never, it's, it's never a, a thing that just exists in the past and stays there. 
because we relive it every day yeah. to some extent. So it's just something that's always going on. If, if it's okay, let me ask Evans too, because Evans is sitting and, and waiting patiently and just jump in. Don't feel like you got to wait patiently. Although I don't want to knock uh, Mr. Betts off his, uh, rail because when he's going i i, I want to hear the knowledge i want to hear the jewels to get dropped evans what do you think uh, is there something that it's like being black that we don't know that, that just we don't get well first of all my man's got it wired uh i'm just gonna try to just sprinkle a little something on what he's saying uh bottom line is i kind of feel like all has been revealed lately what uh, do you mean uh, so the george floyd video which in all honesty, I haven't actually watched. I just watched a screenshot because I can't do it, right? Like, Same. And I, see the, the hey, can I say I've gotten through about three to five seconds of it? And I can't watch it either. I know the way it ends. I don't, I, I don't need to see the ending. I mean, you, you, I think you put it best in a conversation we had. It, it, and, you know, forgive me, but it basically no. is a snuff film. Yeah. Uh, we're watching somebody die. Uh, but all has been revealed, man. At this point, it took a video clear as a bell, not subject to interpretation for everybody to see 2020, what we have known for a very long time. Uh, and I would throw out there, you know, uh, one thought that's kind of crossed my mind and not that it was my original thought, Al Franken former Senator Al Franken came up with this. He, he, he just kind of said, well, what was going on before we had crystal clear video? What was going on before we had digital? Uh, how many guys are, you know, lived full lives, had great grandchildren, never saw the inside of bars uh, because we didn't have video. Uh, and then even when we had video, it took a brave person to keep taking that video. Somebody to basically look in the face of the cops, uh, in particular Chauvin or whatever his name is, with his wry smile, uh, knees in the fella's neck, mm. both hands in his pockets, you know, looking up at people as they beg him to stop. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, it, it, to me, it's, it's sort of like we're there uh, to where everybody knows. Uh, I don't think there's any secrets left. I, I think it's about the details. Uh, and so what Mr. Betts is talking about is the details uh, of what it actually means. It's not just platitudes on a page, uh, but actual people's lives. I want to know about you, though. Like, you know, he said something very clear that his education, he didn't feel was adequate. So in your personal experiences, what are some things that you can, you know, let us feel with you? I want to feel what it was like in childhood or the mentalities that you adapted. I want to, I want to, you know, give the audience that. Shucks. Uh, we may need another, uh, this might have to be a mini series. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. But it's time. It's that's time. Okay. People want to know, you know, like this, this is, this is the time people want to know. They said that the books of, of like all American black history is, is just flying off of all of Amazon online. Like they're just being sold out because people are desperate to know. They want to know what is it that we're missing? What did, what, what is this gap that we don't know that we messed up this bad, that it's gotten this far. So what did that feel like? Like, what are some mentalities that the rest of the world just, you know, didn't know or didn't, or just like ignored? 
you you feel like you're on thin ice like all the time. Uh, wow. That you know, just at a moment's notice, uh, it all can just turn on you. Uh, you know. How so? How so? Can you describe some moments? Like, are there things that I'm just saying from experience? I had friends, right? Who, as a mom, because I have kids, other moms had kids, and they were teaching their kids, you know, don't be in those places. Mm. Just don't be there because it doesn't matter. You're a good kid. I raised you. And these are my, my friend's kids. Of course I trust them. Of course I know that they're great kids, but they're being taught different things than my kids. They're being taught. You cannot stand in that area or be in this place at that time because the fact that you're there, you'll get put into jail when you're 16. Is that true? So I, I personally haven't had, you know, that experience of kind of getting swept up, um, guilt by association kind of thing. Uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and it was more just like uh, every move you make is furtive. Um, mm. You know, just you could just wave to a cop. And I actually had this experience. I just waved to a cop. Uh, as I was driving by him and he pulled me over and he's just like, why are you smiling kind of thing? So, you know, it wasn't a really big deal. Uh, I didn't get a ticket or anything, but that's the sort of thing that could just happen. Like, boom. And and just wave just to be like, it's a cop and we're happy and everyone's fine. (laughs) How you doing? (laughs) Right, right, right. We we just wanted to make sure you're doing okay, Mr. Smith. Uh, So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely uh, is something that's everywhere you go. Um, you know, uh, you go to the store and that's no joke. Like you really do have eyes on you, uh, whether you're agents or whatever from the middle of the And, you know, you could be nice. Like my man, you got the chain, you can be fly, right? The, the, the nicely manicured goatee, like my man, and they still uh, are shadowing you, like. Oh no, I'm a, I'm a drug dealer in North Carolina with this one, automatically. Well, I mean, at least you're making money. I mean, you know. No, as far as a, <laughs> if it's if it's a police officer observing me, if I walked into Aww. the corner store on Coliseum Boulevard in Greensboro, North Carolina, they would be on me mm. as soon as I get out my car. Because, Just because okay, of how you're dressed. He's driving a nice car. He's got you oh. know, all these chains on and all these rings on. You know, he's well manicured. You know, he must be dealing dope. Okay. And but I'm going to get pulled over before I get home. Here you don't get that? No. Okay. So is that, is that part of, I mean, do you, think that's, do you think that's part of why Hawaii has been your home? Is because of that difference of how you're treated? Just you can, you can play that a little bit that's more? That's precisely that's precisely why Hawaii has been my home mm. for the last 26 years. It, I mean, in Hawaii, at least I'm not getting called nigger every day. Yeah. You know, I'm not getting pulled over by the police yeah. every day. Here it's opposite. You know, I don't so have it, to, I don't have wrong. to worry that if the police do pull me over, I'm going to die. I don't have right. to worry about that. So mm. 26 years ago, it was every day or frequently people were calling you. 26 the years ago, trust me, 26 years ago, when when I made the decision to join the army and leave home, mm, fresh okay. out of high school, in my mind I was joining the army because I had a kid on. I had a kid. 
I didn't want my kid growing up in that one stoplight town. I wanted to get him out of there. I wanted Good. him to have a better life than I ever had. And yep, I could have stayed home. I could have taken advantage of the scholarships that were being offered to me hmm. by UNC and Elizabeth City State. I could have stayed home and gone to school, but my kid would have still been growing up in that one stoplight hmm. town. And I didn't want that. I wanted them to have better opportunities than, than I had. So I chose the Army. And then when I joined the Army, there was more racism in the Army <laughs> than I had experienced at home. Ooh, I want to hear <laughs> about this. I want to hear about this. My father talks about when he went to boot camp, which would have been 20 or 30 years before you would have. But when he went to boot camp uh, was the first time he talked to somebody who said, oh, no, in our town, there's a curfew. And uh, black people aren't allowed outside after the sun goes down. Just uh, they're not I'll allowed. It, I'll put it to you like this. Going because through they would go do NIT, something. Like, going through basics in AIT was okay. I mean, there were some racist guys in our unit going through basics in AIT. They were clearly identified. But by the time we graduated AIT, because they now had direct contact with the other side and got educated, mm-hmm. by the time they got out of, out of training, their minds were totally changed. Oh, good. Good. What do you mean? And what they mean? saw, they came into basic training with racist views from where gotcha. they were from. After living with and being around black people for the, the time period of basic training, which I believe at that time was like four weeks, and then AIT, which was a, a few months, their minds were totally changed by what they saw because yeah. now you're in an environment where you have no choice but to live with us. And you got to trust each other. That's the difference. It's not just living. Exactly. It's, it's now, so it's by, this, you know. So by the time they come out of AIT, yo, this black man mm-hmm. is my brother. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I can gonna save my life. That I will trust my life with. Yeah. But it's so... I, I agree with you. It's very hard to judge people as a color or as a, a block if you know different members of that block individually and you know them as different people and you know them as a human being. But so judge, I know because yeah. I went to a very uh, racially mixed school, for example, mm-hmm. a very racially mixed uh, under uh, high school. I would look at things a different way. I don't immediately judge people by the color. I believe, I hope, the same way I hear about it from people who just have never met people from the alternative race or mm. who have a different pigmentation uh, mm. from themselves. It, well, the fact that you're even in Hawaii, though, I mean, that says a lot. We are so diverse here. But I do well, have let me to ask that. You know? I mean, is there a difference? What, do you feel that there's racism or uh, anti-blackness in Hawaii as opposed to what we've heard you guys talk about? that you had to go well. through growing up? Because <laughs> I, I can't believe that there's nothing. I just don't believe there that is. all of a sudden you come here and it's... It's and not it's, it's not uh, perfect. You know, oh, no. all unicorns and rainbows. Evans, why don't you well. tell me? Do you feel it differently here <laughs> as opposed to San Antonio, as opposed to Texas? Um, we're supposed to be, uh, speak candidly. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to be as honest as you can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Say their I, name. I think just kind of just, trying to approach just, it diplomatically. Uh, Good I luck think, with that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, indifference, it, I think, is something that people may slip into a little mm. bit here. 
uh, if they're not mindful. Okay. But it's not where you're afraid you're going to die. No. Okay, good. So, so at no, least, at least that's, that's not, not the standard. Like we don't, okay. we don't right. want that to be the acceptable standard. Well, yes. Well, I mean, from die? what it came from, like at least, at least, right. at least in that sense, I'm so glad that he can say that, you know, part of why he chose Hawaii was that he doesn't feel like he's going to be subjected to the same. It's not that same extreme. Thank God. I mean, the only difference is in, in dealing with the police here, there's, I've, there's actually a chance that you know the officer you're dealing with. Good. <laughs> Good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I'm not a person who, quote, unquote, drops names. Yeah. And I know yeah. that a lot of people do that. Oh, 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 so-and-so is my uncle. And yeah. they can get out of a traffic stop. I, I don't do that. Even if I know police, I, I don't do that. Yeah. Because if I get myself into something, I'm going to get myself out. And if that means I got to do time or pay bail, then so be it. But I, I, I'll just use the, the most recent episode I had with police, and that was probably right at the probably right at the start of the pandemic, I think. Mm-hmm. Really? And um, you know, we're all working from home now, and the computer that I was using to work from home with, it had some problems. But I, I was like, okay, if I go to the office real quick, I can grab my laptop from the office yeah. and I'll be ready to go in the morning. So I shoot down da- downtown to our office, mm-hmm. grab my laptop. And as I'm coming back into Pearl City, boom, they got a roadblock set up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, where are you coming from? Where are you going? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. but, while they've got, but while they've got me pulled over, I'm watching all these local dudes get stopped. Oh, One okay. dude was obviously drunk and uh, they still waved them through. And I'm okay. like, okay, so so why am I being pulled over mm. when that dude was obviously drunk, obviously tore down, and y'all let him go? Why am I still sitting on the side of the road? Mm. You know, because they had questions about my license as I mm. you know right now I have a conditional license. I see. For a whole totally unrelated reason. And they wound up giving me a ticket. And I'm like, so you give me a ticket. Because you don't understand my conditional license because according to the police on the scene, oh, I've never seen one in real life. Mm. What the hell you mean you never seen one in real life? <laughs> you know, you're a cop. <sighs> okay, give me my ticket. I got a court date. Okay, yeah, this is going to get wiped out by my lawyer. I ain't even tripping. Yeah. But the, what I was tripping about was y'all had a dude in your roadblock who was obviously drunk. I'm so behind sorry. Behind the wheel. Yeah. And y'all let him go. Yeah. How, uh, how, how, how does that work? Well, he wasn't drunk. How do you know? Did you do a sobriety test? Right. Did you have a period of observation? Right. And that's how, because that's how I got out of a, a different um, situation. So whenever it suits you guys, mm. you can obviously see that someone's under the influence. But, in, but if you know them, you know, they auntie, they uncle, yep. you know, that brother, brother, the kind. Yeah. No, they're not drunk. They weren't drunk. Yeah. You know, we know who that is, you know, and and they're okay. Bull, bull. So that's kind of okay, you know, it's whatever. That's kind of where, I, like, I, I wanted to pull this was how did you feel in Hawaii? I mean, obviously there is racism, but in in my experience, it's definitely not so much 
dark skin. It's opposite. I feel no, like they don't but, they don't see it as racism. They see it as taking care. Mm. No, if you're gonna take care of people that you know, people that you might be related to, right. somewhere down the line, then extend that same. It's called favoritism. Everybody. It's called like a favoritism, uh, a family uh, blood. Is that what you're like? I'm I'm trying to figure out where where is can, it where it's racism versus. Where is it like the you only, know somebody? You can put wool on a wolf. It's still a wolf. Right? Okay, good. I mean, so I'm glad, as, I'm glad we're bringing this up. As far as racism goes, the only direct experience with the police that I can say was racially motivated was getting my head kicked in almost by oh, a geez. black sheriff. Oh, geez. So the black sheriff did it, but you think it was race motivated? Uh, yeah, because the things that were coming out of his mouth Wow. At the time that he was, you know, kneeing me in my back and kneeing me in my ear, you mm-hmm. know, was you black this, you black that. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> so that is where I, I was, I feel like this is really kind of the interesting twist is that, do you feel that people are, like what you said, the competition, the the putting the shame that that allows them to do that to each other. Like, is that what you're seeing is happening? Or is this a normal thing? Do you see that, that you know, you're taught to degrade yourselves instead of bond together in that sense? Like what you just experienced. You know, you would think that somebody that was the own color would be equally, wouldn't say those things. You think that nobody would say the, the, that to someone of their own kind. But then you're no. saying that, you know, but you're saying this no, is happening. No, no. So no, I was... Mm. It did not surprise me because growing up, um, most of the trouble that we had when dealing with the police, it didn't come from white police. That's so interesting. It didn't interesting. come from white sheriff deputies. It came from people that looked like us. See? And so this is what's so interesting. Like, that is the twist that I think is so strange. Or, or But but also it's it's like a, you know, this is something that you're like, uh, ta- I don't know. What, what do you think about this? What do you think? They'll slam you down to the street top, black police showing out for the white cop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, that, that was that was just my experience. Yeah. I haven't really experienced blatant overt racism at the hands of white police. Wow. Because I didn't have a lot of contact with the police until I became a teenager. Now, the first time I stared down a police officer's gun, that was a white cop. Okay. Tell me what happened. Wow. Um, and you were I old? was I was about fifteen or sixteen. I oh. just started driving. Oh, geez. And I had gone to a place with um, a few friends. We had drove from my town to another town, and on the way back, a state trooper pulled us over because one of the guys that I had picked up he he felt had drugs on him, hmm. and when I started complaining about them tearing up the inside of my mother's van, because I'm more concerned Ooh. with, man, my mom, my mom's going to kill me. Oh yeah. Cause she see what y'all did to my van. So I'm complaining about what they're doing to the van. And next thing I know, I'm staring down the barrel of at that age, what appeared to be the biggest gun that existed on the face of the earth. Wow. Cause I'm looking right down the barrel and, Everybody's like, no, shut up, Ron. Don't say nothing. I'm like, mm. no, they tearing up my mama's car. <laughs> and, and he was like, you know, you shut up. You shut up. You know, you, you be quiet, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, so now staring down the face of a gun, staring down the barrel of a gun, 
all the defiance in the world seemed to just come up and out on its own. Gotcha. Oh, you're going to pull a gun on me? I'm talking to you, but you're going to pull a gun on me? Oh, you are, you real brave. Oh, you such a big man. You're going to pull a gun on a kid that ain't got nothing. Go ahead, shoot. Well, I'm glad you're alive, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you're alive. I am. Evans. I am too. Because in retrospect, I'm like, you tell that dude to shoot. Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? So I kind of like bring something up for me. I've been kind of toying with this pet theory. Like, why is it that we can't get rid of racism? You know, what is it about it that's so um, persistent and rigid and uh, immovable, whatever you want to call it, right? Why do they hate us so much? That's my question. Right. And, and, and so, I mean, the hate is there, but it's like, what is pushing this thing along? And I'm going to just say it. My theory, as ridiculous and fringe as it is, the reason we can't defeat racism is because it's too much fun. Yeah. They actually enjoy... Wow. How, you can't beat wow. entertainment, right? Let's, let's work it through. Let's walk it through. So... I'm, I'm going to get real because it's late night. It's after hours. The kitties are asleep, right? So Trump walking down the street. Mine is not. I'm so sorry. Mine just No, not Naomi's. No, they're not. We can see them in the back. They're not asleep at all. <laughs> so, so Trump walking down the street. Man, that guy had a blast, right? He cleared yeah. out. Yeah. But video no, shows right. me peaceful protesters. That was fun. Uh, take Homeboy with the right smile. Two knees in the guy's neck, people begging him to stop. Both hands in his pockets, just looking up. That was a gas. Uh, that he was out, he was uh, um, having a lark. Uh, Ahmad Arbery. Now that one, oh. I mean, there's no question. They literally hunted the guy. That was hellacious fun for them. Uh, the most dangerous game. So this is this is where. Do you think that? It's fun because they don't feel emotionally connected, or do you think it's fun because it's the like? Wh- I mean, what is fun about it? Because, I mean, obviously, right? This is something like in child games you learn, right? You learn this as kids. Like you can be the bully, you can push people around, but as soon as it happens to you, it's not so fun anymore, right? Because then you start to feel it. So do you think that this is the same thing? Do you think that that is what's what needs to happen? Because I feel like that sometimes does happen, right? Like there has been vengeance that does happen. It just doesn't make it to the news. But like it's still just, it's not quite big enough of like a consequence. Like what do you think is the reason the fun is still going? So when you said the lack of connection, that that rang true to me. I think that that's sort of the thread that goes through all manner of racism and discrimination is you simply do not identify uh, yeah. with the victims. Um, and we can kind of see that in um, so many different contexts, but that really doesn't encapsulate this thing, this sort of intangible, intangible um, human thing. And the best way I could um, describe it is typically like, you know, the kid in your neighborhood that shoots squirrels with a pellet gun. You know, it just total lack of empathy for the squirrels. Uh, but at the same time, it's like uh, grown people could be standing right next to the kid while he's doing it and never call him. So, I mean, that's another thing about racism. It's very user-friendly. Uh, so easy, a 10-year-old can do it. Uh, so, you know, and uh, do it without repercussions. Uh, 
frankly, let's be real, it is America's pastime. Football is America's sport. But racism is America's pastime. Uh, mm. And you see people at all levels of all intellectual capabilities, um, you know, expressing it in meaningful ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, when they make these glib comments, I think I read something like a senator said, uh, oh, if, uh, if this whole George Floyd thing wasn't in the news, I wouldn't even care. And he just got caught on a hot mic. Wow. So you Google that. I mean, I don't wow. know what senator it was, but it, it's basically like, well, I bet that was pretty fun to say. I, you felt the yeah. need to say it. Uh, you thought somebody might get a laugh out of it. Um, and so that, that's sort of like, you know, I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I hope that history proves me wrong. Um, but I think you can't compete with that. You can't compete with something that brings people joy, uh, tells them the hierarchy, no matter how low you are in life, and yeah. you ain't black. So that is hard to beat. Now, did you guys get a bird over there? It sounds like you guys. I I muted myself. Um, somebody else well, somebody has a bird. Has a bird. No, that's 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 my bird. Uh, oh. Do you actually uh, have a bird? <laughs> and they have to. Uh... He just blamed me. You know. <laughs> no, I generally just blame Naomi for whatever's going on. <laughs> so let me, either let me... that, or you're falling on the sword for her. For I don't know why, but no, uh, I still gonna, think it's her bird. There's going to be some bird relocation. Um, that happened. <laughs> I love that though. What kind of bird do you have? It is a love bird. Oh, oh, so cute. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you. Be going ballistic all the time. So okay, I'm gonna Why? take care of the bird thing. I'll be right back. Uh, you take. Well, let me ask. Uh, let me ask uh, uh, Mr. Betts. All right. Why do you think America seems to be ready to listen now when they weren't ready at the same time in when Ferguson happened or they weren't ready in 92 during Rodney King, or do you think they're not ready to listen? And this is just the latest fad that's going to blow over. Cause it sure seems to me I, different I think, now, but what, what do you I think? think? I think America, I think America, the people are just fed up on, on both sides of the table. They're, uh, for those that it directly affects where we are tired of, this type of thing happening and nothing being done about it on the other side of the table, the other side of the table, they're just as equally tired of seeing it happen in there. Nothing being done about it because they're tired of being vilified for the lack of action on the part of America, the government. So you have, you have white people or, or, or people who are seen as the other side of this tired of being, typecast mm. and in a way experiencing what black people and people of color have experienced, you know, during their entire existence in this country, you're, they're tired of being typecast because of the mistakes of others. That makes sense. So now they're standing up and saying, you know, damn it, do something about this because we are sick and tired of being called racist. We are sick and tired of being people who support systemic racism in this country because you folks that we elected and put into positions of power won't get off your asses and do something about it. Evans, let me ask you the same question. What I just asked uh, Ron is why do you think if you do America seems to be ready to act or listen this time when they didn't seem to do 
the same thing when it happened to in Ferguson, for example, or in 92 when uh, the first time we saw the Rodney King video when white people learned, wait, that really happens? You're not just complaining about nothing? Why does it see, to me, it seems different this time. Do you think it's different or do you think it's just the latest fad and it will blow over and it's just, it's the same thing in a different way, if that makes sense? So I think of it this way. uh, There's no real plausible deniability uh, in the George Floyd video. uh, Got you. Which makes it uh, very different than the other videos. While I look at it and I say there's no plausible deniability you look at Eric Garner, uh, and I believe yeah. that fella remained on the police force uh, until the Democratic uh, uh, presidential debate, uh, the candidates debated, and de Blasio got called out by Kamala Harris. Uh, and then so <laughs> five years later, this cop got fired because de Blasio got called out on national television. Mm. Um, Is that right? Is that what happened? Is that how it went down? That's how, that it, went how it went down. down. So, wow. so that's the first cop Kamala Harris ever went after. <laughs> well, take it easy because I'm still hoping she'll be the VP. Fingers crossed. Come on. You could do it. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the lack of uh, plausible deniability, the lack of a story that some people can buy. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you got to think about it, though. Even here in the state of Hawaii, the Aloha state, where um, you know there's so much pride being uh, demonstrated for our police officers here, and and I, I mean, I have cops in in my Hanai family. I, I have police officers who are longtime friends, but even they will tell you that all of their brothers and sisters are perfect, and so on and so forth. But like I, I had a conversation with one of my cop friends recently, and. He was like, do you think that all of us are bad? I was like, I think that if you stand by in silence, knowing that other people in uniform are doing bad things and you don't say anything about mm-hmm. it, yeah, that makes you as bad as they are. This because is, you have a I'm duty tell to intervene. You, you have a duty this, to, to say something. This Chauvin thing, this uh, Floyd Chauvin thing, this is the first time I feel like I've really seen police come out and go, mm-hmm. no, 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 he's not going to be one of us. Yeah. We're, we're, not with, we're not with that. Uh Everything else you complain, whatever. This one, no. Yeah. Is that fair? Because you got to, I mean, it's, in, it's election season. Just like people are focused on electing a president, there are other elections that people also need to pay close attention to as far as who's going to be our next uh, prosecutor, who's going to be our next attorney general, oh, yeah. who's going to be the next judge, who's going to be the next prosecutor. We need to start as a community, we need to start paying close attention to those elections as well. Mm. That's why your education comment was so crucial because... Yeah, because we don't know. We're not Well, and what you said, you're not taught that, okay? And I've heard that not just from, I mean, so it, because I'm from here, I mean, just be... I, I, yes, we totally know we grew up with, yes, there is racism and yes, you know, this is what happened, the suppression. But I grew up in Maui where we didn't see that happen among our fellow youth because at my generation there were there there was hardly any black people here that we could even see that comparison have you seen have you seen the choices we have for our next mayor on oahu (laughs) but in oahu when i moved to oahu 
I was so shocked because then for the first time, a whole bunch of military, I, I experienced like, oh, this is what the black white racism is. I, I had never seen that mm-hmm. before. When I was growing up in in Maui, um, it was actually different where the whiter skin you were, you actually got a lot more shit because you know you wanted to be a local like if you didn't have asian eyes and you or you didn't have dark skin you didn't have bushy hair or you didn't have any any you know hawaiian in your blood you were actually treated more like you know oh you fucking holly tourist you know it wasn't it it was opposite And, and that's and that's what we experience as black people in hawaii i have let's face it i mean i was a wild dude for a minute, you know, over here because I I've never been you. in a place where there were so you many women. So you and they're all on wait. the beach, like in bikinis. Yeah, you can't wait no, till the end of my show general. to start talking about how you're a wild dude. Oh, you no, gotta I'm leave saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Forget. I mean, the that's rest. a compliment. That's a compliment. The girls here are gorgeous. That's what I want to yes. hear. I'm just saying. I have children who are Filipino, who are Samoan, who mm. are uh, local mixed. You love all races. You see. It wasn't, I didn't have an issue with dealing with the women. It was the women's families. Interesting. In the Filipino family, obviously I'm dark skinned. They had an issue with that because I'm yeah. not white. Really? In oh, the yeah, Samoan yeah. family, it was oh. the same thing. Oh, they had an issue with me because all black guys are players. Interesting. And then in the, in the local family, oh, all black guys are this, all black guys are this. These were all negative stereotypes. Oh, interesting. They didn't try to get to know me as a person. Mm. They just went with the stereotypes or Talk the um, archetypes that mm. were out there. Interesting. But now, years later, after they've seen how I am with my children, how I deal yeah. with the mothers of my children, mm. that even though we're not together, even though we're not married or whatever, I give them the utmost respect. I take care of my children as best as I can. If you need me, if they need me, I'm always there. Now their attitudes are changed. But mm. in the back of my mind, I'm like, why wasn't I given that opportunity? From Interesting. That's so interesting. But, but that was I, that was in Oahu. That wasn't that wasn't Outer Island. No, that was on Oahu. Okay, because that was the only time that I wow. experienced that racism was in Oahu. I had never seen that in Outer Island until I got what, there. I'm, I'm, now I'm curious what if if you can expound on that. What type of racism did you experience? So, okay, um, I grew up in upcountry, which is very open mind and spiritual. And I mean, barefoot, I was telling in my other episode, like we, you know, hitchhiked and my mom picked up strangers. We didn't lock doors. Um, you know, everyone was very, um, kind and, um, it's a small town and everyone knows each other. So even if you did try to pull something like people hear about it and somebody's going to call your mom <laughs> and people just generally were much softer, um, they didn't do the kind of things I had seen in a big city. When I moved to Oahu, I was, I had just turned 16 and I went to Kalaheo, which it's actually a really good school. I'm, I have nothing against it, but it was the first time that I had ever seen like a actual segregated group of race. I mean, there was a building they called Africa because that's where all the black kids hung out together who were from wow. military. And my and school I, was called Room 100. I, had, I, I was like, I was like, they would, yeah, all, all the black kids would self segregate in front of room 100. But I mean, I'd never seen that before. Wow. I was like, what the hell is Africa? Like, what is this? And, and coming from the outside, I mean, that was re- they, like, I got shit because I was nice. So here I come from Maui and I'm like, you know, 
bikinis and barefoot and hitchhike and you know oh weed is illegal what like I was just so naive to this city life <laughs> right and and I was just you so mean I can't shocked. smoke this dumb thing? <laughs> I, I was like I was, I was like what do you mean uh you know I, I just wasn't used to this and so it was the first time I had seen this and a, I'd only had like three black friends I'd ever known my entire life in Maui just because we didn't have any. And they were completely accepted like Hawaiians and anyone else here who has dark skin. It was like if you're Filipino, if you were Tongan, if you were Samoan, if you're Hawaiian, if you were Japanese and had a tan, you were considered like an accepted local. And that was how it was when I was growing up here. There was like a, a big stigma against white and everyone else. Um, but, but that's just cause it was small town and we didn't have that diversity. And then suddenly all of a sudden I was considered like, they even asked me if I was Hawaiian and I was like, what? Because wow. I, I was so shocked here. I'm used to being, I was so used to being put into either white or Asian and I wasn't ever given any other, um, you know, option. And all of a sudden, they were asking me if I was Hawaiian, and I was like grouped with um, Hawaiian kids because I was new and I was from Maui. They just assumed, and because I looked mixed, and it was because in that school at that time, it was you were either black or you were white or you were local. And if you were local, it was it was like a lot of Hawaiian mixed. It was that time, and so I just was so shocked wow. that, that I was like, you don't, you guys don't have an Asian club, like what? <laughs> Like, you know, like you're not gonna you're gonna put me with Hawaiians and and um I, I just was just really shocked at how I you know and I never I'd never really lived in the mainland at that point. So I ended up moving to the mainland later and then I understood this like deep-seated racism you're talking about, but until then I'd never seen it. And um, this is what I was shocked at that. Okay. Locals, they fight, right. You know, if you're going from the islands, you got to fire. I mean, girls will beef. I mean, we say it with beef, you know, they, they, they will fight like girls and boy, boyfriend and girlfriends will fight each other. And it's like a normal thing. Don't call my brother. Yes. Yes. <laughs> girls will jump in for their, for whoever, like they will just jump in and go for it. And everyone takes off their earrings and their bracelets and, you know, hold my baby and let's go. Right. But, <laughs> but I had, <laughs> but I have never seen, um, it's usually always over like love. It's always, it's always like, you know, you like my guy or I don't know, you know, the, the, the boyfriend or the husband didn't do something. You know, it's always like, but never, wife. never because of a matter of race. No, I never seen that. I'd seen it called out where they said, you know, you fucking Holly took my, you know, like you took my job or you, um, you know, like you stiffed me, you were supposed to pay me and that kind of fights. Right. So it's usually like, Right, you know, somebody mad because you know the Holly guy that's from the mainland who doesn't understand, you know, the culture would do something that was offensive, and that was like the learning point where it was like a local calling him out. But I'd never seen it where it was like just pure race. Like I don't like you because of how you look, and that was the first well, time that I well, saw it fights. Well, it might it might be surprising to you as well as Mark yeah. that even in the late '80s, growing up in North Carolina. For as much as uh, there were a lot of white people who had no love for blacks at all, yeah. there were just there were just as much Anglo-Saxon uh, white people who had no love for Jews. Oh yeah, 
Uh, oh, it's not surprising yeah. to me at all. No, it's not surprising. I just, that's, I that's, just that's not... why I'm making the comment. Yeah. No, that that's why I'm making a comment. Yeah. It was like at, at at one point, and I think it all stemmed from an incident in uh, New Jersey. There was a section of New Jersey that was uh, predominantly predominantly Jewish, and something had happened, and all of a sudden it was all about anti-Semitism in the United States. And, and people related that anti-Semitism to the same uh, discrimination and prejudice and racial bias that was applied to African-Americans. And there seemed to be for a time this unspoken allegiance between the Jewish community and the African-American community. Uh, there always has been. I mean, there always has been. And NAACP was... Exactly right. Always right. Thurgood Marshall been. was always coached by Jews who had gone through, I don't want to say the same thing, but as far as being kept out of the legal profession, for example, being kept out of law school, right. being kept out of... Out of law school, out of real estate, out of business. Real estate. You name it. Real estate was the exact one where it was usually... Uh, and then what would happen is they'd let the Jews in because at least we could still keep out the blacks, like Evan was saying earlier. Uh, well, at least we could wow. still discriminate against the blacks. We still have that. But Goldstein can join the country club, just only Goldstein. None, none of his friends. He, he can join. It's amazing. I was going to ask you about dating. So because I'm the only chick here, I just think that this is a really crucial point is that. Hey. The, the, <laughs> this is how. This is how. She's going to ask you that question. No, uh, I mean. Hey, that's where we're because, going. I'm ready. Because. I'm ready. <laughs> I feel like this whole connection, right? We're talking about this is connection. Friday podcast so, after right? hours. Hey, yeah, after I'm hours. ready. I've, had, I'm I've ready. had some wine, right? Okay. So, so when you are, when I was talking about connection, this is half of why people don't give a shit about the other person because they haven't actually touched them. They haven't hugged or warmed or, or in any like the the best way. I feel that racism will end. Yeah, you might, you might, you might get in trouble doing that with me. No, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying. That if you were sounds to, like he's already done that with half the island, right? I mean, but there you go. So if you if you've loved if you've loved someone that is different from you, and you have you know gotten intimate and gotten to know them, and you've even like you know let them into your home, and you've and you've gotten to know them on such a deep level, it changes the game, right? Right? And I feel like that is that is really I think what is changing America now it, when we ask you know what changed America why are we more ready if you look at what people are now what their genetic makeup is everyone's mixed I mean I am I am a whole bunch of European I'm Asian I'm Native American I have Portuguese blood I found out I have um like Iranian blood when I did the uh the, the DNA test holy right? crap yeah I've got everything in me right so I found like my Native American ancestry on Choctaw registry I don't don't finish that joke don't finish this joke <laughs> I've already, I've already heard this. I've already don't heard finish this. that joke. I've already heard this. Okay? I wasn't even going there. Hey, I was hey, not hey, going to go it. there. Yes. Okay. I wasn't going to go no. there. No. So this, know is, this joke. so this is what I think is why America can't take you anywhere. Now is because now everyone is mixed. Everyone's mixed. You can't deny that you have this like. 200 years worth of, you know, immigrants coming in and they've all intertwined and whether they mm -hmm. like it or not, we are not a majority white America anymore. We are by blood. But it's, even it's, it's never been that from the jump. 
And and that's what right. a lot of people don't get. It's right. it's like as long as black people have been on this planet, we have always intermixed. There has yeah. always been interracial relationships. What is Sicilian? It's, I it's mean, the black first, Italian. The right? first, thank you, the first black mm-hmm. woman that touched down in the colonial United States was a black woman. Mm. You know, all of these people that are revered and, and, and venerated through history, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson and all these other cats, the reason why people don't like to talk about his history is because he was in love yeah. with a black woman. Not just, yeah. you know, tapping that because, you know, she was a slave or whatever. He was in love. He was mm. gone. You know, in today's terminology, he was from. Mm-hmm. The Sally Hemming story is a real, real interesting story. It's, it's mm-hmm. I mean, it's she, almost impossible for us to know. Sprung. <laughs> hundreds of years later but that's a real there's lots of twists and turns in that story as far as but that's but that's not the only story from that time even growing up in north carolina you know in a one-stop like town my father's best friends number one was the sheriff who scared the hell out of me and number two was a white man named Flave. that was his name can't make this shit up that was his name, Slave. The sheriff and my dad had a relationship because they were moonshine runners together back in the day. But this man scared the hell out of me because he looked like the devil. I think I told you this story before, Mark. I want to hear it again, though. The, he looked I mean, like he had the devil? Bla- yeah, he had blazing white hair, the most electric blue eyes you've ever seen. And if he did not like you, he would kill you. Period. If he didn't like you and he felt like you didn't need to be here no more, period. Mark, if you were practicing law in our town and he felt like you were disrupting the social fabric of the town and you needed to go, he would come up with a reason why you needed to die, blow your brains out, and then come up with a reason to justify it. When you say sheriff, he was the actual sheriff of the town? He was the actual sheriff, and he was also the biggest dope dealer, the biggest pimp that North Carolina had ever seen. Okay, so and he was my father's best friend. So growing up around good side, I think that's the way. No, I mean they 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 caught him, and you know he he wound up doing federal time and all kinds of other stuff. I'm I'm thoroughly impressed that they caught him. But the the point of that is to say that, you know, she's talking about intimacy and relationships and and this and that. The intimacy intimacy I had with white people at that age was through my father and the relationships that he had built with certain people in our town. And getting to see how they, even though that man was evil, even though that man had done a lot of wrong, he loved my father like a brother. And this other white man named Place, who my father, you know, did a lot of jobs for and stuff like that. When my father passed in 1994, you couldn't keep either either one of them away from the house. They were always Help. coming by, making sure my mom was making okay, sure okay, making sure. Exactly. So even though they had their own demons, what I came to understand was it really 
it really isn't about race with these dudes. They just fucked up on their own. Yeah. But as far as the love that they felt for my father, that trumped everything. And to this day, only one of them is still alive. And he no longer lives in North Carolina, but he always checks in regularly with my mother to make sure she's okay. That's amazing. Her, she needs anything. That's a friend. So on and so forth. I feel like what we're getting from this, uh, if I can, is it seems like proximity is a big important a big important thing to make sure that you have proximity to other races. I think um, not frequency, but that you have more than one example. So you're not judging an entire another race by the one person who you know super well, having more than one example around you, honestly, good or bad, helps you understand that people are different. Individual people are individuals. Um, well, that's actually, what I'm hearing. I actually, I actually have a question for... Uh, the brother who's a lawyer. Yeah, what's up? So, in in your practice of law, especially in a place like the Big Island, mm-hmm. you know, big, the Big Island is considered on certain standard levels more country than Oahu. Oh, yeah, That's has fair. your experience has your experience there as a lawyer illuminated you to those type of relationships that kind of cross racial boundaries? Where, where, say, you know, local people will come to the defense of a quote, in quote, Howley, who they've accepted as one of their own. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's like Mayberry, like Andy Griffith. It's just like that small. And, <laughs> wow. and, and people work together. We've had marches here, even though they haven't um, made big headlines. And people have been, you know... Uh, I, I would say just super encouragingly um, supportive of each other during the rough times, especially with COVID one and then the, the uh, uh, racial unrest too. Uh, but yeah, it's just an amazing place to live. Uh, I, I was surprised at uh, how quickly I was accepted. Uh, yeah. And you know, coconut wireless is awesome. So if I do something good, uh, like everybody knows about it, right? <laughs> but on the flip side of that, right? If I do something bad, right? So 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 it also kind of keeps me uh, on my best behavior. Yeah. Uh, I would say Big Island's the jam. Definitely, if you get a chance to visit, uh, you know, after the quarantine, uh, holler at me. I, I'm here. Um, but yeah, definitely a beautiful place. Definitely supportive people, Um, unlike any place I've ever lived. But yes, uh, there's still the the kind of veil of ignorance. I I think, you know, we didn't even hear about George Floyd in our in our uh, in our um, news Mm. or a really long. And I talked to um, some other black people I know out here and I was like, did you hear about this? No, it's not in our newspaper at all. That's like my time growing up, I think is where Big Island is now. Like that it's so little that, that it didn't, it like didn't even register. Right. Right. Yes. Right. So and there's, there's like a delay too in general yes. with stuff getting to Big Island. So like there's still yeah. dudes with mullets and yes. wearing Jordache jeans and yes, stuff. Yes. Like you're 20 years still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. We've been going about an hour long and I don't want us to go much longer than that, but let's leave with a final question if that's okay. Okay. Uh, if we want to support and 
by we, I mean uh, white people or people who want to be righteous, non-black people who want to do the right thing. If we want to support, what can we do? What do we do to help erase racism or to get everybody back on the same page, to make sure that the struggles African-Americans have to go through are not more than the struggles that other races seem to have to go through only because of the color of your skin, for example. What can we do? What's the, what's the right next step? Is it just putting a black square on my Instagram feed? No. Is it, um, should I call? I I think I sent Evans a text message and said, Hey, how you doing? Cause which is a weird thing to do. I'm obviously sending it to you because you're black, but at the same time, I'm doing it because you're black and I want to make sure you're okay. So like, what do we do? What's the, what, so I'm like, I'm wrestling with this. Like, do I let you know that I put you in the black category? Like, do I text you? Hey, are you okay? Meaning, Hey, you're in this category or do yeah, I do it no, because I, I'm I, concerned about you? So I, those I kind of things, that's my question. That's, that's a long way to say, what do I do? How I am I righteous? With, I agree with Mr. Betts vote for Biden. Uh, we can pretty much handle the rest. Uh, that's clear. <laughs> Why you start laughing, bro? <laughs> He's laughing because anybody who thinks votes are counted is funny. That's what he said. No, no, no. What I, what I actually said was vote differently. You know, instead of voting for people who are pushing and supporting agendas that are detrimental to the advancement of people of color in this country, vote differently. I mean, look what, what happened. Look at the president we have. People who didn't, people voted for Trump simply due to the fact they didn't want Hillary Clinton in office. I also think That's why Trump, Trump is Trump in office. We're doing so well. Well, I also think because we were doing so well after Obama. I think both Trump and the last Bush a lot of people voted because we were doing so well because we were doing well. And I don't mean just race. I mean, in generally a lot of people who felt good said, well, I don't have to vote because everything's working fine. Right. It's no, like, you don't have to steal I, the car if you're not going to change. No, the, the black community was telling people like, do y'all know who this dude is and y'all voting for this dude? Have y'all not me. been paying attention to this dude's history? See the black community. We knew how corrupt Trump was. We knew what he had okay. been doing. Yeah. So besides since, just since votes, the, since, since the Central Park Five, we knew who Trump was. Yes, but even besides votes, I think what people don't understand is that your money is your vote. Where you put your money, where you're spending. Yeah, where are you putting your money at? You know, if you really want change, vote differently, spend differently. Mm-hmm. If you really want to do something for us, do that instead of spending your money at at stores who are supported by corporations. Who are funneling money into Trump's presidential campaign fund and education? Spend your money made. differently. Yeah. Don't just keep walking through this life with blinders on, thinking that you know, well, I'm not racist because I don't support that person's politics. Well, depending on where you shop and what you invest in, you are supporting their politics. Mm-hmm. And that's what your education and that's the real love is so key. What you were talking about, education, right? When you understand how the system is working and you understand that what you're spending or where you're going or what you're doing in your life is, is actually sending a message or supporting a cause, right? It changes the game. 
I I just still don't see how you experience racism because you're so damn fine. And I don't <laughs> understand how people would look at that and want to discriminate against that. But it's it's a reality check that no matter how beautiful you are, no matter how yeah. no, poignant true. you are, no matter how astute you are, no matter how you're a lawyer and you still experience it. Yeah. Both of you guys, you are lawyers and you still experience it. So for a guy like me, I'm just saying. Oh no, you meant us too. Okay, I'm just saying. You know, no no matter (laughs) what you think would insulate the person from experiencing that, racism permeates all types of armor. Yes. Beauty, um, legal status, Mm -hmm. occupation, uh, community status. It permeates all of that. It has. It does not care. It don't Not, care how yeah. fine you are. It don't care that Mark's a lawyer. It don't care that the other brother's a lawyer. It can still get into you. And I, I've shared on the show, I've shared on the show previously that um, I've had experience, for example, where someone wanted to check to see if I had horns uh, because I was Jewish. What the hell? Wow. Because wow. he was taught, he had never met a Jew before, and he was taught the Jews had horns. And he came over and gave me one of these on my head. And I didn't know what it was. And, and that's like I, Japanese women. When I was dating a lot of Japanese women, they, they were taught that we had tails like monkeys. They really? were taught you had tails? And a Jap- yeah. And a Japanese wow. woman asked me, oh, can I see your tail? I mean, at least, at least she wanted to see it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I got a tail for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I want to thank you both for joining me on the Aloha Friday podcast. Thank you guys for coming to uh, Rod Batch, you can find him at... Uh, <laughs> Is it uh, Rude Boy Radio 808.com and Rude Boy Rhythms Entertainment? Yeah. Rude Boy Radio 808. And then uh, Evan Smith, who we do classes <laughs> or uh, legal cases together. <laughs> and um, uh, on the Big Island, if you get in trouble <laughs> or anywhere, if you feel that you have custody issues, things of that nature, uh, he'll be present. I want to thank you both for joining with us. Thank you for being open with us, letting us look into your lives. Thank you for, for having me. Just a second. And when we have you guys back next time, we're going to talk about um, the tail. Some of those Japanese women <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> how many tails you showed. Uh, I want to Only hear one. some tale. We're going to hear some tail <laughs> stories. So uh, thank you guys very much for coming through. And uh, you guys have You're a wonderful. Uh, oh, thank you. And stay thank safe. Thank you for out, having bro. me. Take care, brother. Y'all too, bro. Take care. <laughs>